find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Letting the days go by, letting the water hold me down, letting the days go by, water flowing underground, into the blue again, after the money's gone, once in a lifetime, water flowing underground. Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to day five of Merry X Lapsed, and uh... Now, if you're listening in real time, today is Christmas, so uh, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. And today, we're going to be going outside of the flagship books to discuss a Christmas with the X-Men story, even though it's uh, it's not officially the X-Men, it's Generation X we're going to be talking about today. And uh, the book is Generation X number 4. This had a February 1995 cover date. The story is called Between the Cracks. Written by Scott Lobdell with pencils by Chris Pachalo. Inks Mark Buckingham, colors Steve Bouchelado, letters Richard Stockings and Comic Craft, edits Bob Harris, Tom DeFalco, and cover price $1.95. Now, I know that today is a very busy day if you're listening in real time, so I won't waste your time. We'll go right into the story here, or into the cover, I guess. Now, our cover is, uh, it's pretty Christmassy, which uh, might just fool us into thinking that the story within will be as well. It's not. Uh, it really isn't, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, now, the issue is uh, got some you know, cover copy on it that says it's a holiday spectacular, and pretty much all the pages inside look like they've been gift-wrapped, which is a really, really cool gimmick. I like it a lot. There are also little elves hanging around in the gutters, having themselves a good time, having some nice conversation, holding up some signs to let us know what direction the book goes. It's pretty neat stuff. So we open, probably sometime close to Christmas, I'm assuming, Banshee is taking a handful of students on a little road trip from Massachusetts to Maine. At least that's what he's going to say, anyway. Now, our field trippers include M, Skin, Sink, and Jubilee. Now, M is sucking on a candy cane, and Jubilee's wearing a Santa hat, which is kind of as Christmassy as we're going to get here. Anyway, they come up to a police roadblock. Banshee has Skin lower himself down as to not draw any attention. Then a shotgun-wielding officer saunters over to chat Sean up. And, uh, you know, also get his license and registration. Seems weird that they just asked some random dude for his ID, but I don't know much about law enforcement nor roadblock protocol, so I won't argue the point any. A bishop complies without issue, but with a top of the morning, because of course he does. Jubilee then pops her head out of the window to inform the ossifer that they're uh, super psyched to see maple trees. Fair enough. The officer lets them know that uh, the bridge to Faybrook is closed. However, they could double back a few miles and take a detour that'll get them there. Bishop thanks the officer for the tip and turns the car around. Now, once they're away, Monet pipes up that, uh, you know, I've been doing some studying and there is no bridge to Faybrook. And so the officer lied to them. But why? Well, let's find out. We're going to shift scenes to Faybrook, Maine, where there is a hostage situation going down at a school. A young, disfigured mutant named Elliot is holding his fellow students and his teacher hostage. The police outside wrestle with the idea of uh, open firing into the schoolhouse. (sighs) That doesn't sound like a good idea, does it? Uh, Seems the only reason that they actually don't do this, they don't fire into the school, is because they assume that old Elliot's probably bulletproof since he's a mutant and all. 
Uh, we get a look inside the school and we meet this Elliot. And he sort of resembles the Elephant Man. Uh, he's very upset that he's going to be removed from this school due to the way that he looks. He turns to his teacher, who had previously promised to fight for him. The teacher pleads with him to let the other children go. And he comments that this situation isn't helping to diffuse the fact that people are scared of him. Elliot continues to cry. After all, his teacher, Mr. Lorenzano, had promised to teach him. We shift scenes and uh, we go to the Biosphere at the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. The one in Massachusetts, of course, since this is Generation X. We see Penance, whose story seems that uh, Marvel can't seem to get straight even to today. She's there and she's admiring a bunch of butterflies all by her lonesome. That is, until she's joined by Chamber, who has a plateful of sliced apples, and they share themselves a nice little moment. Now, this moment is observed via the monitors by Husk, who's already got the hot pants for Jono. Emma Frost saunters in in a very unflattering moo-moo-looking sweater, and she notes that it would appear that Paige is eavesdropping. Paige gets all defensive, which seems to amuse Emma, who assures her that she wasn't passing any sort of judgment. She then tells Husk that she reminds her of herself when she was younger, which might be the scariest thing of all. From here, we hop back up to Maine. The officers are talking about the standoff, and we learn that Elliot's parents are on their way to try and talk some sense into their son. In a nearby ice cream truck, which wouldn't seem out of place during Christmas time out here in Arizona, where it's, you know, upwards of 70 to 80 degrees, but in Maine... An uh, ice cream truck in Maine during the winter probably should have been a huge red flag to anyone with any level of observational skill. Anyway, inside this ice cream truck is somebody who's checking in with somebody else. Somebody else that they call Nanny and promise that they'll make them proud. So I'll give you three guesses who our baddie's going to be here. Banshee and the gang arrive around this time, and so we join he and Sink atop a nearby building. After Banshee KOs a SWAT guy with the perfect frequency sonic something or another, of course. Sean asks Ev to use his mutant aura powers to focus on, in on Elliot, and so he tries. Down below, we can see that M and Skin have taken out another pair of SWAT guys, which seems like it might be a step too far, right? Especially when we see how Skin goes about doing this. It's really kind of disturbing. Jubilee, she does her part by blending in with the rest of the looky-loos to get all the deets on the sitch, or... Something. She learns a bit about Elliot and the current situation. He has, Elliot that is, has been kicked out of this school on account that the other students and their families are afraid that he'll contaminate them with mutantitis or something. Jubilee humors the, you know, the goofball local and continues to listen. She finds out that the one guy who was in Elliot's corner throughout all of this, Mr. Lorenzano, is among the kid's hostages. Now, Jubilee considers reporting this all back to Banshee like she'd been instructed to, but decides maybe she'll just have a look at it herself. After all, I don't think I have to remind anyone that she used to hang out with Wolverine. Though, this might actually be the one time she doesn't remind us all of that fact. By now, Elliot's parents have shown up, and they're pleading with their son to call this off. Elliot refuses. He doesn't think anybody cares about him. And he thinks that people only care about the pretty kids. And he's probably not wrong. Uh, worth noting, Mr. Lorenzano, the teacher, he's gripping at his chest right now. Something's definitely up. Go back to the rooftop, Sink feels something odd. He sort of dismisses it. Gotta remember, he was a young, untrained mutant at this point, and so he might not have a full grasp on his powers just yet. Sean's like, huh, you feel weird? Please explain. 
Ev says that his mutant aura has pinged. You know, he has found something. Only it's not coming from anyone inside the schoolhouse. Instead, it's coming from that very strange out-of-place ice cream truck down below. Wonder what that could be. Back on the ground, Elliot's parents keep begging their boy to, you know, cut it out. Elliot looks at Mr. Lorenzano for help, but by this point, he's toppled over onto the floor. At that moment, in the basement of the school, Jubilee has snuck inside. And uh, she comments how gross it is down there. It makes me wonder what sort of odors might be in that basement, and whether or not they might keep a Najari demon at bay. Elliot shouts out the window that he just wants to be left alone so he could learn and be with his teacher. His teacher, by the way, ain't looking so hot. Back to the rooftop. Banshee is preparing to set the team in motion. Unfortunately, before he can give the order, the back of that ice cream truck pops open and reveals our big bad, which is the new-look Orphan Maker. Duh. Now, the Orphan Maker's gimmick, if you're not aware, is uh, well, basically exactly what it says on the tin. He makes orphans out of mutants by killing their unsupportive parents. He then turns those mutant children over to Nanny, who can nurture and love them. And so he's here to kill Elliot's folks. He takes aim with a pistol and pulls the trigger twice. Banshee, however, is barely able to stop the bullets with some sonic hoodoo. Orphan Maker recognizes Sean as being with the X-Men. M flies in to correct and punch him, because Sean is now with Generation X. Monet gives newer readers the skinny on Nanny and the Orphan Maker via the files of X-Factor. She then tells O.M. that she doesn't want to hurt him, to which he punches her straight through a squad car windshield. Skin jumps into the fray, wrapping himself around the Orphan Maker, while Banshee laments the fact that this entire situation is blowing up all around him. Back inside, Jubilee continues her stealth mission to the classroom. As she draws nearer, she's passed by a bunch of fleeing students, one of whom refers to her as Lady, which kind of freaks her out. Jubilee then goes for a steeple grip, doing her little finger gun path gimmick, she then steps into the classroom with her fingers drawn and finds Elliot, cradling his now-dead teacher in his arms. The boy begs Jubilee for help, to which she tells him that, uh, Hey, pal, your, your teacher's dead. There's nothing I can do. Elliot knows. He knows the guy's dead. It you know, looks like Mr. Lorenzano had a bum heart, which just gave out amid the excitement. Everett then bursts into the classroom to check in and inform us all that the hostage children made it safely outside. Back outside, Em and Skin continue battling with the Orphan Maker. Skin is shocked off the baddie due to his armor's conduit whatever. Uh, Sean tries to put some space between the Orphan Maker and Elliot's parents, to which Orphan Maker kind of just shakes his head. He claims that he's not needed here because Elliot's folks more or less orphaned poor Elliot themselves years ago. He then runs back to his ice cream truck and flees the scene, and uh, Panchi is almost too gobsmacked to be disappointed that the bad guy got away. We wrap up with the revelation that Elliot isn't even a mutant. He's just unfortunate looking. The team talks about wins and losses, being hated and feared. You know, standard X-Men stuff. And we close out with Banshee suggesting that Elliot, who is now being led away, is just a poor soul who fell between the cracks. That's the end of our story, but not the end of the issue. Now, if you think we're finally going to get something Christmassy here, maybe we'll see our team huddled around a tree opening gifts, drinking eggnog. Maybe it'll just be a pinup. Maybe it'll be something Christmassy, right? No, no, it's not that at all. We don't get that. Uh, instead, we've got Jubilee preparing to read us the next issue blurb. Only surprisingly enough, it's not for Generation X number five. 
Hmm. Instead, it's for whatever the hell a generation next is. Huh. She's confused. Readers were confused. Everybody in the whole world's confused. That is, if you didn't listen to the ten or so hours of coverage on this very channel of what she's talking about here. And we close out this issue with the Mkron crystal doing that thing it does, and that's a wrap. So let's talk about what we just read. Um, probably not the best issue to cover on Christmas, right? <laughs> but, uh, hey, we're already here, aren't we? I think I got this one confused with a later Generation X Christmas story when I pulled it to, uh, to cover here. Um, I could have sworn this was going to be the Yes Jubilee There Is a Santa Claus story. But I suppose that's the later one, and it should have been obvious that it was the later one because by then they all knew each other, and this is still very early in the series. Um, Oh, well, I guess if we're still doing this next year or in July, we'll get to that one. That said, this is a tough one to look at purely as a Christmas issue, isn't it? It feels sort of like a stock plot that the X-Men books used from time to time, especially during the mid-90s. It's the standard feared and hated but ratcheted up to the nth degree and stripped of all of its subtlety. That doesn't mean it wasn't a good issue or a good story, because I quite enjoyed it. Though in fairness, this is kind of my wheelhouse, so I might just be a little bit biased. Let's start by talking about the art. Now, Chris Bocciolo has got to be in my top three of comics artists, despite the fact that I've never pronounced his name the same way twice. I just love his work. Here is no exception. Uh, It's so dark, but contrasted and almost like infused with a weird beauty. Except for Emma's Moomoo, because that was not pleasant to look at in any way. I've often said that Bacillo's work on Generation X immediately reminds me of Fall, and Thanksgiving time in particular. This issue, well, despite the fact that it's not Christmassy, does make me think of Christmas. It uh, almost makes me homesick. Uh, I don't get homesick often, uh, especially nowadays. Except for this time of year, because, I mean, in Arizona, it's, it's, a, it's a banner day where I don't have to put the air conditioning on for a couple hours during the day. It's just very, very different from growing up in New York. And uh, right now, I mean, there isn't a whole lot going on that makes me think it's Christmas outside where... Back home, you knew. There was that smell in the air, the feeling. Just a different vibe. Generation X is a book that, for me, it's hard to revisit. Because it's one of the very few times that I get homesick. You know, Generation X didn't happen in my old neck of the woods. It happened in Massachusetts. But a lot of the tone is similar. You know, the my high school years, I was on Long Island. Which, is, you know, is a suburb. And for much of the year, is very, very green. You know, you drive on the expressways and you, it's trees on, on either side. It's very, very green, except, of course, in the fall where, you know, it's gold and red and orange and just beautiful. Beautiful stuff here. And that's so much of what Generation X evokes for me. It's very hard for me to revisit because it's one of the very, very few times that I, I get, you know, struck with a little bit of homesickness. Now, back to the issue. The creativity of using the gutters and, uh, you know, a lot of the non-panel, paginal real estate to add some holiday flavor, that was awesome. I love that. And it's something that I've seen Bacillo do from time to time, and it's always very, very cool to see. Let's talk about the design for Elliot. Uh, It's very, very, very bizarre. And excellent use of shadows, you know? Uh, In some panels, he looks just like a scared little boy, which he is, right? In other panels, he looks like the monster that the community believes him to be. 
amazingly well done, subtle, and just beautiful in its in its horror and everything. It's just beautifully done. Uh, the new look Orphan Maker is maybe a little bit busy, but I think that's kind of the point. Overall, art-wise, zero complaints. This was amazing. Um, with that out of the way, let's talk story. Well, first of all, it's not a Christmas story. <laughs> it sort of falls into our column B that we've been talking about here, where it's a story that might be happening during Christmas time, but there isn't much outside of M eating a candy cane and Jubilee's hat that tells us what time of year it is. As for just a regular issue of Generation X, it's quite good. Uh, again, perhaps a bit tropey, but for these newer mutants, you know, Jubilee and Banshee accepted, of course, this is a good reminder that they are feared and hated for some silly reasons, or some very basic reasons. It's like a young mutant write a passage to be part of a story like this, so to that, to that uh, you know, regard, it, it certainly works. What we also gotta figure, uh, we gotta consider the fact that uh, with what's about to happen in the X-Books for the next four months, it's not like they could have started a big storyline here, right? I mean, we're going right into the Age of Apocalypse here. This book won't be back for five months. I'm not saying this was filler, but maybe it was like a safe way to bid, to bridge a gap, right? They knew they needed this issue, and just here's just a, a here's just a story, you know. Here's a, a little tropey, a little you know, well worn, but here's a story. Uh, we do continue to learn about our new characters, and we establish some of the interpersonals. Um, Husk watching Chamber make nice with Penance was a really well-done scene. Uh, Emma's commentary was also pretty cool, as it kind of made Paige consider her actions, right? Because, let's let's figure here, if, if Emma doesn't see anything wrong with eavesdropping, then there's almost something, there's almost definitely something wrong with it. Good stuff, and, and I mean, it's funny, because I, I just talked about homesickness a minute ago. Seeing scenes like this actually make me homesick for this book. <laughs> a book that makes me homesick for actual home. It's very, very weird. Overall, I'd recommend this one. Not as a Christmas issue, but just as an issue. I think a lot of folks will enjoy it. It's well-worn, but it's well done. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous book to look at. So if you haven't read this one or if it's been a minute since you have, definitely give it a, give it a look. Give it a look. And with that, I want to thank everyone out there for indulging me. Letting me go, I don't know, uh, off task for a week uh, And I really needed a break from our current year grind uh, I've been doing it every day since September 1st So it was nice to take a little bit of a break from the Dawn of X stuff I haven't even looked at a Dawn of X book in you know five days So it's the longest I've gone without looking at one in a while So very much needed it, and I appreciate you all indulging uh, this little break, this little vacation from paradise, uh, as I put it. And I do hope that this trip down, you know, Xmas with the X-Men memory lane has been as fun for you as it's been for me. I mean, we're five days in, and it's all done, and I almost don't want to let it go. It's kind of like Christmas itself, right? <laughs> it's uh, You don't want to let it go, because then we just get back to muddling. We go back to the regular, the real life. The world comes back to life, and it's a different place. It's a different place. But uh, I do want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all that stuff. Uh, I know it's been a very, very weird year, and I also know that I'm probably the 400th person you're hearing say that today. But I do hope that your holiday season has been the best it could be, given what's going on. 
I want to thank you all for keeping me company, and I can only hope that I've helped in a little way to keep you company as well. We'll be back to normal X-Lapsed coverage after the weekend, and I hope you'll all join me for that. Um, now, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do so very, very easily. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com and xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can talk to us about whatever you want over on Facebook. Our group is 90s X-Men. And you could listen to all the audio archives, which includes a lot of Christmas stuff, with the X-Men and otherwise, over at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that's all I got for you today. Just one more giant thank you for uh, indulging me in this little trip and uh, joining me for this little trip. Uh, I, I, the holidays can be a very difficult time for some of us, right? It's uh, a time of togetherness, but it's also a time that, even when you're together, you can feel kind of alone. So I thank you all for keeping me company. I hope in just some little way I kept you company as well. So thank you all so, so much. To you and yours, from me and mine, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, stay safe, and uh, I will talk to you all again real soon. See ya. Going on deep inside your heart.